This is Mark Williams of Team Footprints Basketball, and you're listening to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast with Coach TJ. Welcome, everybody, to the Skill Development Playbook Podcast. I am your host, Coach TJ. So for today's episode, I'm actually going to have a replay of an interview that I did from Season 1. And it's actually Season 1, Episode 9, where I interviewed Jim Boone, the head men's basketball coach of Delta State University. Um, This was a long interview. It was actually an hour long, a little bit over an hour long, but... You know, Coach Boone shared a lot of great information. Uh, he gave some great insights on the um, on what they do at, at Delta State and also just his philosophy on skill development. So make sure you got your pen, your pad, and you really listen and take some good notes because if you are actually uh, at a coaching clinic and you're going to have to pay uh, to, to hear Coach Boone speak. So now you get an opportunity to hear him speak. And you didn't have to pay anything. So it's a great opportunity to learn something. Uh, just to give you a real quick, um, I'm going to give you a little information on, on Coach Boone here. Uh, Coach Boone is a very respected head basketball coach at Delta State University. He has over 30 years of coaching experience. Um, and when Coach Boone decides to share some knowledge on the game of basketball, you should quickly, like I said, grab a pen and a pad. Uh, coach Boone shares experience with skill development and how important it is as a coach to adapt to the changing ways of the game. So Coach also gives us an inside look at how skill development is conducted uh, with this Delta State basketball team. So, um, this is the interview that I had with Coach Jim Boone, and before I get into it, I do want to let you guys know that I am working on a book on skill development. It will be out soon. It's actually been edited right now. I'm looking forward to it because this is the first of three books that I am planning on releasing. Um, so as soon as it gets done and I tidy up some some other things, some loose ends, I'm going to try to release that as soon as possible. And you can follow me on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, and, and also I, I will more likely be writing on my blog about it, YouTube and whatnot, and to, to know about when that book will be released. So I'm looking forward to releasing a book on skill development. Um, and so it's going to have a lot of insight in there. So, so y'all make sure to continue to follow me, uh, on social media so you can get the latest on when that book will be released. So here it is, the interview that I did with Coach Jim Boone from Season 1, Episode 9. Coach, are you ready to drop some knowledge for everyone listening today? I'm ready to share whatever I have, and hopefully it will be helpful to someone. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. I appreciate you uh, giving up some of your valuable time to be here with us. Before we get started, how about you give everyone uh, some background information about you? Tell us about your coaching experience and how you become the head coach at Delta State University. TJ, this will be my, I guess, my 30th year uh, as a head coach. I've been, I've been very fortunate and blessed to have been in this uh, business as a, as a college coach 
for a number of years. Um, and we've been able to, to have a great deal of success during that time and had a lot of really good players play for us and great coaches work with us. And it's, uh, it's been very fulfilling in a lot of, at a lot of different levels. I started my head coaching career uh, at California University of Pennsylvania. It's a Division II school in, um, just outside of Pittsburgh. And it was a tremendous opportunity for me. We, we were able to go in there and really have a lot of success over a 10-year period and uh, really didn't want to leave, but had the opportunity to uh, advance to Robert Morris University, who was a Division I school, competing in a Northeast Conference and inherited a program that hadn't won uh, for four or five years and quickly was able to, to rise that program to the top of the league and Four years later, uh, had a chance to go to Eastern Michigan University. Spent five years there, five great years, learned a lot about uh, coaching and going through uh, adversity. We were hit with uh, NCA issues from the previous staff. We had the 5-8 rule and a number of other things that, that hampered us from having probably as much success as what I thought we could have. But at the end of the day, we ended up leaving there, and I went back to Division Two, a place where we had had a lot of success as a uh, as a coaching staff, and a place where um, I just felt was better for myself and my family, and it provided me the opportunity to coach my son, uh, who played for me, Jimmy, uh, during our tenure at Tuscaloosa. Uh, ended up at West Virginia Wesleyan after six great years at Tusculum to get back home and really thought I'd be there to, to end my career. And then, wouldn't you know it, Delta State University came calling and it was such a tremendous opportunity. I couldn't say no because one of my goals uh, is we want to be able to compete at the highest level. We want to be able to compete nationally. Uh, we want to be able to compete for a, uh, uh, for a national championship. And we believe that all those things are in place here, that we can have terrific young men um, that are here to get their degrees, but at the same time have an outstanding product on the floor from a basketball perspective. And I give you that history and what all we've, we've accomplished. Uh, you know, we're, we're close to 500 wins. I've taken four different Division II programs to the NCAA tournament, which is an unprecedented achievement. We've, uh, you know, numerous coach of the year and conference championships and what have you, player of the year uh, awards been uh, garnered by our guys. But one of the things that intrigued me about the opportunity to be here today is I think the common denominator throughout my 29 years prior to this year and the success we've had in our programs have really centered around our ability uh to develop our players and their individual skill development. It's been a huge part of what we do and a huge part of our program. And I think that's something that's, that's, that's very important. Um, there are a lot of trainers out there, a lot of coaches, a lot of people that knows that skill development is important, but there's a lot of people that, that really don't know what all entails when it comes to skill development. So I'm glad you're able to, to share some of that uh, with us today. And, you know, you've had a, a great career. 
I'm I'm actually a little familiar with Delta State. I played uh, Division Two ball at Washita Baptist, and um, we got the opportunity to go to Delta State and play. And uh, um, I actually was at Washita between '99 and '01, uh, so got a chance to play there. Love the facility, love playing there, and, and it was it was a tough place to play. So, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it that way. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The first question I, I want to ask you is, in your own words, what is skill development Skill development, and how important is skill development to the game of basketball? Well, for, for us, TJ, skill development, as I mentioned, is, is extremely important because our thought is simply this. The better job we can do of improving our players individually, the better we will be collectively. And for us, it, it means a lot of different things. Um, but basically, it's the improvement of our players' fundamental uh, skills, whether those be shooting, passing, ball handling, movement within our offense, decision-making and reading the defense, as well as defending and the footwork that goes into being a good defensive player. So those are all the things that, that we try to develop uh, with our guys, our players, to make them become better basketball players. And consequently, we become a better basketball team. And that's, that's the same thing that, you know, with me as a skill trainer that, that I try to do also, you know, improve their skills, uh, make them better for the system that they're playing in. And then as we know, if the individual players get better, and that's only going to help the team, uh, like you say, collectively. So the next thing I want to ask you is when it comes to your skill development practices or your training sessions, how do you like to get organized and prepared for the workout? Uh, how do you put together those, those individual or small group practices for your team? Well, we approach uh, the skill development part of it just like we would approach a practice. Uh, there's a great deal of planning and effort that goes into that because – the time that we're going to utilize, we want every second to be accounted for. We don't want guys, our, our whole deal is once you walk out on court, you're going to work. So we don't want guys uh, downtime, so to speak. And, and whether we're using one coach, two coaches, three coaches, uh, managers, whether we're using a couple of players, and we rarely do anything that just involves one player, it's at least going to involve two or whether we're working with a larger group of four to six or maybe even our entire team. Um, we're, we're going to have that period of time planned out and be very um, organized and detailed in, in the minutes and time that we use. Uh, we try to organize what we do around uh, those uh, fundamentals that I mentioned earlier, ball handling, shooting, uh, offensive movement, which includes decision-making and defensive play. And in the beginning of the year, in the fall, particularly when we're spending much more time on skill development, but let me say this, we do skill development throughout our entire season. We think it's that important. Uh, we don't do as much, obviously, once we get to February and March, but we are doing something with skill development on a daily basis with our players. But early in the year, we want to really focus in on those 
four fundamentals that I just mentioned and organize our workout uh, around those things. Okay. Yeah. One thing about skill development is you got to be organized. You got to be prepared. You got to kind of know where you want to take that player, even if it's on the short term. Um, from the beginning of this practice to the end, I want this player to be able to to do this skill. Um, and it sounds like that you're taking what you're doing in your within your philosophy or within your offense or within your defense, and you're applying it to your skill development practices. Is that is is that what I'm hearing? That that's exactly right, TJ. And I think it's important that for us that we don't have guys that are just out there uh, going through. Uh, that we're not just drilling the drill, that we're, right. we're drilling to teach a specific skill that's going to connect directly to what we require in our offensive and defensive play. So that's what we attempt to do uh, within our skill development sessions. Yeah, and I think there's a time and place for everything. Uh, if a player needs to uh, improve on certain things, you can have a certain time in the year to work on those skills. But I think it's important that when you're in a team setting to really, even though you're doing individual skills, it's within the team concept. Um, now, I will say that in the uh, in the fall and, and probably more so in the spring when our season is completed, uh, that's when we'll bring in one or two guys, uh, probably more uh, more so in the spring. And, and at this level, Division Two, we are not allowed to work with our guys in the summer although we try to give them a uh, playbook, so to speak, to take home uh, of the skills that we want them to develop that is going to fit their game and help them to be a better player within our game. Right. Uh, what we try to do in the spring is really work on concepts and have a theme for that day. You know, it's not like we just go in every day and we're going to hit those four fundamentals that I mentioned. You know, we may have a young man that in the spring – that the, the key attribute we want to develop with him is his ability to shoot the three-point shot. And so we're, we're going to spend much more time with that young man working on that particular skill so that we are more tailored for the needs of our players as we give them what they need to do over the summer. So when they come back in the fall, hopefully we're going to see um, a great deal of improvement. And that goes to knowing your players and understanding their strengths and their weaknesses and and being able to put something together, particularly, like you said, Absolutely. for them, for them. Absolutely. So when you're prepared, you know what you want to do. Um, how do you like to start your skill development workouts? Is there anything particular that you like to do with your players? We do. And, I, you know, I always tell our guys, and this is just a, an old school thing for me, uh, we don't start our practices and we don't start our skill development sessions with stretching. Uh, that's on them. They've got to do that. We've got a trainer that does a good job of teaching them uh, how to prepare themselves for a workout. And so when, when if the workout is scheduled at 1 o'clock, I expect them to be on the court uh, five, ten minutes prior to that time. When we walk on the court at 1 o'clock, we're going to get started immediately into our workout. Uh, so that any stretching, any loosening up, anything like that that they need to do, they do that on their own prior to that one o'clock start. Now, like a lot of guys, we're not we're not a lot different. When we're doing skill development sessions, 
it usually always starts with ball handling. I think that's a great way to warm up. It's a great way uh, to get your hands and feet ready. It's a great way to get a feel for the ball and get started. Um, it's a great way to build some intensity into your uh, into the workout, and that's something that we very much want is, is an intense workout. So whether we're working with bigs, uh, post players, or we're working with guards, uh, generally we're going to start with uh, ball handling uh, off the bat. Okay. Now, uh, let's get into the, the four fundamentals, and, and you kind of mentioned these, and, and we'll let you actually say those, your fundamentals again and, and that, that you mentioned from the beginning of this interview. But now what I want you to do is just kind of tell us those, those four fundamentals again, but then tell us how you teach those fundamentals to, to your players. Well, the, the, the things that we're really locking in on, particularly in our skill development sessions, TJ, are first of all, ball handling. Uh, secondly, shooting. The third key for us is, is movement within our offense, which also incorporates decision-making and reading the defense. And then lastly, uh, defensive fundamentals. And um, I, I'm not sure exactly what your question is, but in, what we try to do with everything that we teach is we, we want a – I think it's important as a coach that you brand yourself, that you brand your program. We are a blue-collar – grit and grind, tough, hard-nosed basketball program. That's who we fashion ourselves to be. That's what we recruit players here to be. So that even in our skill development sessions, we want that element of grit and grind to be uh, apparent. Um, I, I think it's important, again, that, that you connect with what you're doing offensively and defensively that you're not just drilling the drill, but you're drilling to develop a skill that is going to connect uh, with the big picture. Um, we want to keep things as simple as possible. I don't, uh, I want to work on specific things. So if, in other words, if we're working with a group and we start that group with ball handling and it's guards, then obviously we're going to incorporate uh, dribbling and uh, doing that not only in a stationary position, which I think is great, but we want to be able to create movement and we want to create competition and we want to have some one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three where it's more game-like. It doesn't do us any good. And, you know, I know a lot of guys talk about this, a lot of skilled guys with coaches. I've got asked this question a number of times. You know, the, the academies, the skill development coaches, the things that you guys are doing are awesome. But a young man's got to be able to put those skills mm -hmm. into play. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you can do that is by playing the game, whether it's three on three, four on four, five on five. And we have found that three on three is a really good way for us to isolate and teach specific skills, but at the same time create some of the same decision-making and movement that's going to occur in the game. Now, let's talk about shooting real quick. Um, when, you're, when you're doing shooting, doing your skill workouts, are you doing shots that they're going to get out of the offense, 
Are there particular, uh, you know, type of shots that you like for them to get in those workouts? What exactly do you do you try to do when it comes to the shooting aspect? Well, absolutely. Uh, we want to create. Uh, we we want to. We want to teach, work, and develop the skills that are going to be connected directly to our offense. So we are working specifically on shots that we would get within our offense. Now, again, I think the spring is a great time for us to uh, try to expand a young man's game and give them things that maybe during the season we didn't want them to do. Like we might have a young man who was not a very good three-point shooter uh, who we didn't allow to shoot the three in a game, but we're going to continue to work on that in practice. We want to drill it in practice, and then specifically, we want to we want to try to expand that opportunity for him to add that to his repertoire uh, as a basketball player shooting the three. And I think the spring and the summer are times when you can really make that happen. Um, I don't like free shooting. I don't like guys just to walk out on the court and start throwing up shots. Um, we're really big into uh, being very organized there. I think shooting needs to have it needs to be competitive. Whether you're setting a time or number of makes, or you're going against a teammate, uh, because that pressure and competition is going to exist in the game, and we try to replicate the game as much as we can and make our drills competitive and difficult uh, as much as we can. But I do think that when you're when you begin teaching a specific skill, it's important that you that you take time. You know, uh, I heard Rick Majera say this a long time ago. You don't want to turn the pages so fast that you can't read them. Uh, you know, we want to take the time for for our player, for our young man to learn uh, the skill, uh, then to be able to apply that skill, and then most importantly, be able to take that application into a competitive environment uh whereas you well know when it gets into a competitive scenario a lot of times all the fundamental skills go out the window and it's something mm -hmm. that's got to be disciplined and learned and uh become a part of their game so we're going to spend uh, a lot of time with shooting but also doing it in as competitive as environment as we possibly can now let's let's we've been talking a little bit about offense. So let's let's get into a little bit of defense. When you're breaking down your defensive philosophy and you're doing your your defensive techniques, how do you like to to work on that during your skill development? And this could be whether you're talking about defense uh, in the preseason or actually uh, during the season. What is it that you like to put an emphasis on when it comes to come to defense on an individual basis and as a team? Well, we're definitely going to throw in. We, we are a, as I mentioned, our grit and grind blue collar program. But if if you ask people what we're most noted for, uh, it would be our defensive play. Uh, so that is a great emphasis for us. And for it to be an emphasis, it has to be something that we emphasize throughout the entire year, both in the preseason, during the season, and the postseason. The biggest thing we try to work on in the preseason is the development of our footwork. And whether we're teaching closeouts, we're seeking leverage for a closeout, uh, maintaining stance and vision and repositioning 
defending the basketball and teaching our players how to stay in front and defend the ball with their feet and not fouling. Those are all small uh, two-minute drills that we like to throw into our skill development workout. So, for instance, we might do ball handling and then do a two-minute closeout drill and then do a shooting segment and come back and do a two-minute uh, sliding footwork drill. Uh, and we're big into push steps. Uh, then we might do something else and come back and do a one-on-one block out and rebounding drill. So we like to put those defensive drills sprinkled throughout our skill development sessions so that we're still teaching um, and put placing a high degree of emphasis on our defensive play. Now, the only other thing I would add to that is I think it's really important, again, that we're maintaining um, that identity that we try to we try to make our defensive drills particularly um, tough and competitive, uh, so that we are building that mindset of being a tough, hard-nosed, competitive team. And we're going to do a lot of the same thing um, as we get into practice. But obviously, when we get into practice as a full unit. Uh, we're, we're going to spend a lot more time working on two on two, three on three, four on four uh, defensive play. Whereas in the uh, beginning of the year and at the end of the year, that could be a lot more two on two, one on one, three on three. Now, is there a particular reason why you would maybe slide in a defensive drill uh, throughout the workouts versus saying, okay, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes on defense? I'm really big into uh, pace of play and creating as much pace as we can in practice because that's how the game is played mm -hmm. uh, and changing from one thing to the next thing because, as you know, if we don't get to play offense for a quarter and then defense for a quarter. Or, right, true. But you know, it's, the game is a game of flow, and it's a game of change up and down the court. So we're trying to replicate that as much as we can. And with that being said, I think it also creates a degree, an element of, uh, of freshness for our players because we're not just spending 10, 12, 15 minutes on, on one specific thing. We're going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, which keeps them fresh and locked in and focused mentally. And then lastly, um, I, again, I just think the more – I think a good drill must incorporate some degree of confusion, of chaos that puts them in a situation where they have to think for themselves. They have to make decisions, which is very much like the game, how the game's going to be played. Okay. Now, are all your, you normally typically uh, time all your drills? We do. Players know how much time they have, so uh, uh, how long are you going to be in the drill? Clock. We don't put it on a clock or anything like oh. that. But like, for instance, we try to keep individual skill development uh, things between five to eight minutes. If mm -hmm. it's involving, um, if it's involving, you know, three on three, four on four, it could be in a five to ten minute range. And then, as I've already mentioned, we have a number of two minute drills, whether they're defensive oriented or offensive oriented that we like to disperse throughout our workout. And we do the same thing in practice. We disperse those two-minute drills throughout our entire practice just to keep the pace of practice moving. 
Yeah, that's, that was something that I learned years ago uh, from, a, from a mentor of mine. He talked about, you know, putting the time. He would actually put the time up on the clock. Players would know how long they had for their drill. He knew that they weren't going to be in – they knew that they weren't going to be in the drill 15, 20 minutes. They knew they were going to be in the drill five minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, or however long it was so they can give everything that they have. And I think sometimes coaches are getting into a drill and they stay in it too long and you'll lose the player's interest and you lose the player's intensity and you have a lot of wasted time by then. So, I would agree with that totally. And as you well know, TJ, there's a lot of different ways to teach and go about um, – uh, working on our game, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be in practice or skill development, and it just comes down to the individual uh, coach, uh, instructor on how they want to go about it. I'm not big on putting the time on the clock, I, but I've known a lot of coaches that are outstanding teachers and coaches that do that. I don't like to put it on the clock because I don't want my guys to be able to pace themselves or to think oh, you know, yeah. I've got too much time <laughs> left. Yeah. And that way, by me making the change and me keeping up with the time, which means I've got to be alert and attentive to it, and I've got to do exactly what you said. I can't allow myself to get caught up uh, in the drill to where it lasts longer than it should last, mm-hmm. uh, the teaching uh, uh, moment that we're utilizing, but that we're changing from one thing to the next thing. And I think that's imperative that you know, you've got to do everything possible to get players to think for themselves and sometimes we don't want robots. We want basketball players. Right. We want them to be able to think, make decisions, and play. Now, the next thing I want to get into is talking about how you maximize your time and space and making sure players get plenty of reps. If you're doing a in-season skill development workout or even if you're running a camp during the summer, um, how do you make sure that you maximize the time you maximize your space, and the players are getting plenty of reps doing whatever drill it is you may have them do. Well, that's a great question, and it's something that we're uh, that I think is also extremely important. You just have to know what what resources and facilities you have available to you. You know, do you have one court, two courts, three courts? Do you have two baskets, four baskets, six baskets? Do you have assistant coaches? Do you have camp coaches? Um, you know, what do you have available to you? And for us, in the majority of the time, we are trying to um, we are trying to we want as small of groups as possible, so that we're getting as many reps as possible. So, for instance, if I'm doing a two-on-two drill then I really don't want any more than four or five players involved uh, at that basket. So I've got two guys that are doing the drill and at most three guys watching the drill. Uh, If we're at a camp situation, particularly where you've got large numbers, then we like to have uh, lines where the players who aren't actively involved in the drill are still mimicking what's going on in the drill. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, because I have a, a good friend of mine that coaches at junior high, and he has eighth and ninth grade girls. And that's an issue that he would run into. Uh, we were talking about just doing skill development. He would say that one of the issues that he would have sometimes is 
he may have 20, 30 girls out there at one time, and it would just be him by himself. And he's trying to get them organized and maximize the, the, the resources that he have and also the time and making sure that the players have, their, have those reps. So if there's like a junior high or a high school coach that may not have all the resources, you know, they may not have enough managers or, or assistant coaches, is there anything different that you would do or that they could do to, to try to maximize the reps or the, or the times with the, with the players? That's a really good question as well. And I think that there's a couple different ways to attack that. One would be that you, you have your upperclassmen who have a better understanding because they've been through your program of what you're teaching and they need to help at each of the baskets teaching your underclassmen. That doesn't mean they're not going through the reps as well. They can, but they can also help teach while you as a coach are located more in the middle of your facility where you can see everyone and, and, and have an opportunity to get involved in each group to throw in a teaching point here, a teaching point there. I would probably do a lot more mass teaching where I've got everybody watching me and I teach the skill with one of my better players that understands what we're doing and then send everybody to their baskets to work on that skill. I think the secondary thing you could do is just break that into smaller groups uh, until you get comfortable with them understanding what they're doing and how they're going about doing it so that you can have them in the larger groups. So if you have a smaller group come in, it means obviously as a coach, you're working longer hours, but you bring in that, you, you, if you've got 20 kids, you bring in eight to 10 of them uh, and work them for a 20, 30 minute period. And then you've got the other eight to 10 coming in the next 20, 30 minute period. Um, so there's a lot of different ways and, and you hit the nail on the head. You've just got to figure out what's going to fit your situation best. And one thing that I really like about what you said was using those older players. You know, that's um, using those old, Go ahead. using those older players to uh, uh, hold the other players accountable. You know, so that's teaching them some responsibility and getting them involved uh, to make sure that everything is going like it's supposed to be going. Exactly. I think it's important that you have as many players involved as possible. You don't want to have a drill where you've got two players involved and 10 players watching. We want to get as many people involved and utilize that time and our resources in regards to facilities and coaches as best we possibly can. Okay. Well, now what I want to get into is it's summertime and players are playing AAU. They're playing travel ball. Um, and players also are still getting their skill development in. What would be, in your, in your opinion, the ideal situation or the ideal uh, ratio for a player to get skill development practice or practices versus playing um, a certain number of games? Another, TJ, another great question. And, you know, you don't want to be a guy that does nothing but work on skill development. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to be able to play the game. And the best way to learn how to play the game is to play. The one gripe I have with AAU and the number of games we play in the summer is that sometimes I do think we lose 
uh, context or connection with the fact that winning and losing needs mm-hmm. to be important. Competing yes. needs to be important. And sometimes we lose a game at 10 on Saturday and we're not too concerned about it because we're coming back and playing a game at two and six and, mm-hmm. you know, win good if we lose good it's more about how many touches and how many points i scored right where uh so i i don't like that part of it but i do like the concept of going out and playing games now what is the exact ratio i don't know the answer to that but i would say this if i was going to err on one side or the other i would err certainly on the side of spending more time working on skill development and less time playing games in the summer. But I do, I am a a big believer, I thoroughly believe that you've got to play three on three, four on four, five on five, and it needs to be done in competitive environments. Um, Balance, that's what's what's really important. You gotta have balance. Every coach that I've interviewed, I've asked that question. you know, they're saying this, they're, that we're all saying the same things. You know, um, you got to get a have you got to have a good balance. Players need to be able to get the skill development in, but at the same time, players have got to be able to get the game experience. And the one thing that a lot of coaches also are saying is about how players can play at ten, they can lose. It's not a big deal. They know they're going to play again in a few hours. And I think a lot of players are not that 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 loss that they, when they experience a loss, it's like, it's no big deal to them anymore. So that's something that, that I'm seeing from coaches that's definitely uh, needed to be changed and, and coaches are wanting to change. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, so now let's say that um, there are going to be players out there that necessarily they won't be able to get with a skilled coach or, Maybe they don't have the opportunity to do skill development with their actual team coach or school coach, but they're wanting to do some skill development on their own. What advice would you give that player or even to that player's parent on how that kid can work on their game on their own and improve their skills? Send them to camp. Give them an opportunity to go to a really good teaching camp and keep a notebook. And what I mean by that, and we we do that at our camps here, is that every time we introduce a drill and the teaching points of that drill, not only are we teaching those and putting our campers through them so that they can learn the feel and how to do the drill on their own, but we have them list that drill in their camp notebook and the teaching points in the camp notebook. And I'm a big believer of having them write it. We don't give them handouts. I think you learn and you retain much better when you write it yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I was going way back, we didn't have the things that obviously we have now, AAU and right. skill academies and skill coaches. Camps was how we did it. And that's something that I started doing as a young camper was keeping a notebook. And whether I was at home going to a day camp or whether I was staying on a college campus, attending a camp, when I got back home or I got back to the dorm room that evening, I took 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes and wrote down everything that we did that day and the things that I wanted that I thought could really help me as a basketball player. So now you go back home and it's kind of like your, uh, it's kind of like your prescription for success. 
you know, if you're if you're sick and you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription and but you only take the medication one or two days, you're probably not going to get better. It's important that once you go to camp and you learn a, a number of drills that you can do to help you become a better player, that you follow that prescription and you continue to do it on a daily basis throughout the rest of the summer so that you can uh, improve your game, so that you can improve yourself as a player. That, that, that would be my biggest recommendation. And then obviously in today's uh, world with the internet and technology, you can Google and find just about anything you want to find from a teaching point, how you want to go about it. I would think it would be so easy for a player or a parent to organize a workout for themselves. And then finally, there are so many skill development guys out there that are giving their time and just want to help kids get better that you can always find someone uh, I think that is qualified and very good to help you become a better basketball player. Yeah, I was talking to a coach recently and I was um, we were discussing this same the same question and I was saying that sometimes a parent just got to reach out, you know, just reach out to somebody, ask them for some a little bit of advice. Uh, majority of the coaches and trainers out there would, would love to help somebody. Uh, give them a few ideas, give them a few drills, give them some pointers on what they can do on their own. Um, but I'm, you know, when when I was in middle school, junior high, there wasn't any skilled coaches. It was my dad taking me to the gym. He would drop me off at, at uh, Hendricks College, and I would go in there on a Saturday morning, being there all day by myself and just playing basketball, um, and then learn from other players, older players I would play against. But, you know, it's just going to camps. Sometimes you just need a ball in a basket and just go out there on your own, the black top or in your driveway and just and just work on different things to get better. Absolutely. There's no better place than going on your driveway. <laughs> I had a I didn't have a, a goal in my driveway, but I had one in the backyard. It was it was grass. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you this. It was hard dribbling on that grass. I tell my players now, I say, go in the back of your yard by the fence somewhere in the back and just find your little area and dribble the basketball and see how hard it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, it definitely makes it a lot easier when you're handling it against that guy that's up in your grill trying to take it away oh, from you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we asked our players all the time to improve their game, do extra things, uh, get up extra shots. But I also think that it's very important for us coaches to always try to improve our craft and get better, become better teachers and better coaches. So – Coach, what do you like to do uh, to continue to learn and improve your craft? Do you have a, a circle of coaches or mentors you like to go to and, and talk to about, about the game? What do you do to continue to learn and improve? I think it's extremely important that you're staying fresh and current and that you're staying on the cutting edge of what's being, uh, what's being introduced, terminology, different ways to teach skill development, and um, there are a number of different ways to do that. Going to clinics, going to camps, uh, going and observing skill development guys working on their craft and teaching. And um, that, that's some of the way that we have really, I think, helped our skill development in our own practices as a college program is having gone out and observed guys who are doing just skill development. That's their role. That's their job as a coach and you can garner so many 
great teaching points, terminology, ways to get things done from, from those guys. Um, the camps has been really good for us. We worked a, the Snow Valley basketball camp in Iowa for the last four years, and uh, you've got you've got the best guys in the country coming in and working at that camp, whether it be NBA guys or skill development guys or conditioning guys, and it's uh, that's been a really good avenue for us to stay fresh, to stay current. Um, I think again we mentioned this earlier, uh, getting on the internet and researching. Um, there's so much out there now that we didn't have before that there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse not to become the best coach and best teacher you can become mm-hmm. with all that is available to us today. I keep hearing a lot of good things about the uh, Snow Valley camps. Um, I've heard that from from several different different coaches about how it's a, it's a great place to be, just to continue to learn. It's also great for the players, but I've also heard great things about it. Uh, learning wise, that and point guard college, I've heard great things about about both of those both of those camps for uh, for coaches. Two great, you just named two great camps, and uh, I've not been involved in point guard college, but I have some friends that are that speak very highly of it, and then haven't had the opportunity to be involved with Coach Showalter and Coach Lawbaugh and Coach Locke at uh, at Snow Valley. That is, uh, that's an incredible teaching environment that they do a great, great job with. Yeah, Coach Showalter will actually uh, be on the podcast here in a, in a few weeks, so I'm, I'm excited about being able to pick his brain. You're going to enjoy that. He's a good one. <laughs> Hello. All right, so, Coach, now we're going to get into the rapid-fire shooting segment. This is where I'm going to ask you five questions. Um, they're all multiple choice. Uh, once I ask, I'll allow you to, to – Give us your choice, and then once we're done, we'll go back through them, and you can give us a, a quick uh, explanation of why you chose the answer that you picked. Okay. Sounds good. The uh, first question is, do you prefer the one-two step or the hop step when shooting? That is a hot topic today. I get <laughs> that question so much. Uh, we, we are a one-two step. We call it plant step. Uh, but, but I, I do prefer the one, two step. Um, I think that even though it can be slower at times, mm-hmm. one of the anchors of our basketball program is working to get great shots. We don't want to take contested shots. We're not, we're, that's just not who we are, what we want to do. So I think that's the hop step becomes more of a way to elevate over a defender. We're trying to get ourselves open. And I love the one-two step because we shoot it regardless of which side of the floor we're on so that we're shooting the same shot all the time. I think it's important to get your legs involved in the shot. That's key on the three. The one-two step allows us to do that. I don't like a lot of knee inflection, uh, similar to a Steph Curry type of deal where we're looking to get the shot off a little bit quicker. Uh, and we can do that with less knee inflection and still maintain the one-two step. Yeah, I know that these questions are kind of, you know, <laughs> they're kind of tough because um, it just kind of depends on the coach and the situation. I've asked that same question to a lot of coaches, and, and they'll pick one, but then when they explain it, they'll go back and say, well, you know, it kind of depends on the situation. So I know that in basketball there are not many that I could think of absolutes. 
Um, so it just kind of comes down to what you prefer. It does. It's it, and there's not, you know, it's like anything else we deal with in our great game. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong way. Right, right. It's that you're doing it what is best for you. Right, and your and what's best for you and your program. And I tell a lot of my players that I work with, I want them to tell me what feels natural. You know, me personally, I shoot off a one-two. I prefer the one-two. But if I'm teaching the one-two to a player and it doesn't feel natural and they feel more natural shooting off the hop, then let's, let's shoot off the hop. I'm not going to force something that feels comfort, comfortable to, for me onto you. Um, so when shooting a basketball, do you want eyes focused on the rim or following the flight of the ball? We have always been focused on the rim. And we have the, it goes back to myself learning. And I know a lot of things that we teach as coaches are things that we learned as players. Mm-hmm. But getting back to what I talked about earlier, I do think it's important that we stay current, we stay fresh, we stay on the cutting edge. And if there's a better way to do it, we're looking for a better way to do it. We've always focused on the rim. The back of the rim for us has been the key point. We actually put a, uh, a piece of white tape on the back of all of our rims because that's what we want our free throw shooters to focus on when they're shooting. We say uh, we want to be back half shooters. You don't want to miss short. Great shooters don't miss short. With this all being said, uh, I am really strongly studying and investigating, uh, watching the flight of the ball. I just see so many good shooters today do that. And I didn't used to like that because I thought as soon as a player started to watch the ball, and I'm not necessarily into the flight of the ball, maybe more, or the ball itself, but maybe more the line that the ball is supposed to travel on is where our eyes should be. And part of my reasoning for that is we didn't used to want your shoulders to go back because if your shoulders go back, it pulls the shot back and it makes it makes you tend to be a shooter that's going to finish short. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten into this a little bit more and some of the recent information that we have, I almost think that's a better way to create lift on your shot if you have just a slight sway back. Uh, it creates a little bit more lift because it gets your elbow directly under the ball going to the rim. So, that, again, that's an awesome <laughs> I'm not sure. Right now we do teach, as I mentioned, that our eyes are on, on the rim, sort of like when you're shooting a gun or a, or a bow and arrow. You don't mm-hmm. focus on the target line. You don't focus on the bullet or the arrow. You're focusing on the actual bullseye that you're shooting at. But I do, I am strongly investigating the possibility of lining up or getting our eyes on the line that the ball travels to the rim. Well, I know that when I played, I I watched the flight of the ball. I don't necessarily teach that. Um, I want my players to focus on the the rim. But one thing that I think that you said that, that, that coaches will really need to pay attention to is that you tell your players to focus on the back of the rim and not necessarily aim for the back of the rim. Um, And I think that's something that's very important. I've heard coaches say before, you know, aim for the front of the rim or aim for the back of the rim. Well, if you aim for the front and you hit, or if you aim for the back and you hit, you've done exactly what you want them to do, but that doesn't mean they're going to make the shot. So it's really important to to be careful what we say to our players as far as um, 
when we're when we're talking about shooting or ball handling, whatever the case may be. So now number three, do you want elevation or quick release when shooting a basketball? I prefer quick release, and that goes. <coughs> excuse me, that goes back again, TJ, to uh, less knee inflection, mm-hmm. one two step, down and ready before the ball ever gets to you, so you're ready to catch and shoot. Um, I, I just think that's a better way to go. I've really enjoyed watching Steph Curry mm-hmm. and the way he is able to get his shot off in a number of in a myriad of different scenarios. Now he's a freak. He's different than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. For obvious reasons. He's a very talented young man that's worked hard to develop his craft. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's still a lot to be learned from him. Yes, uh, I prefer more of a more of a quick release. And sometimes, though, players got to understand when they're watching an NBA player, these are some of the best of the best, you know. And we can't always can't make, emulate that, <laughs> right? You know. So sometimes, if you're if you're a fourth or fifth grade player, you know, you got to start with just the real basic fundamentals. And I heard a podcast here recently about Steph Curry, um, or the coach was sharing the story about him, how when he was, I think, going into his sophomore year, he spent the whole summer changing his shot, and he would work on form shooting and getting those skills down before he can add other things on top of that. So that's something that's real important. So do you prefer a dominant pivot foot or pivot off either foot? We are a permanent pivot program. Uh, with our perimeter players and playing out on the perimeter. I think there's a number of reasons uh, that that has been really, really good for us. Uh, Number one is certainly cuts down on travels um, because we're not in between. We're not, we're not pivoting on one and the, when you learn to pivot on your permanent pivot foot, it, um, uh, it, it really allows you to focus on, the one or two things you can do from there as opposed to maybe having quick feet, so to speak, and mm-hmm. create a travel situation. It also really limits us down to three key core moves that we teach in our skill development. Direct drive, I'm a right-handed player, I'm going by you with my right hand. Crossover, where my left foot is my pivot foot and I step through with my right foot and rip or sweep the ball uh, to cross over and get by the defender. Or shot fake, which we then teach from that same same point, either the direct drive or a circle tight into a crossover, depending on which way the defender runs by us on the shot fake. So it allows us to really focus on those three moves, keeping it simple. And uh, I, I think the simpler we can be in our teaching improves the opportunity for our players to execute. Okay. Now, the next question. And this is the last one of our rapid fire shooting segment. Would you rather coach? Well, would you rather have the less athletic, skilled player, or the more athletic, less skilled player? You know, that's a great question <laughs> from the standpoint that that, that coaching at Division Two for the number of years that we've had, it is very rare for us to get a very athletic and very skilled player combined mm-hmm. that we we have to give up one or the other 
And I think you need a combination of those guys to be successful. Right. If you have all skill guys and no athleticism, it's going to be hard to compete. Mm -hmm. Uh, And particularly us being as defensive minded as we are. But TJ, I would tell you that we have probably erred on the side of taking the more uh, skilled player and lesser athletic player and found that in our motion offense and in our pack line defense, that guy can not only survive, but because of his high IQ and skill level, he can thrive as a player. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's another tough one uh, on that one there. But, you know, the more skilled player it seems to be where coaches are, are going more towards. But it just seems like the game is getting more and more athletic. Um, but at yeah. the same time, you know, the game is getting more athletic, but then people seem to say that the game is getting less skilled. Uh, but the coaches I'm finding are wanting the more skilled player or they prefer the more skilled player and less athletic player. So it's, you know, there's, there's a disconnect somewhere in there. <laughs> well, without, coach, no, without, sorry, question, without question. I mean, and, and that's why I think that you, to be successful as a team, uh, it's all about roles and, yes. and yeah. finding the people, you know, we can't have, uh, we're not going to be very good if we have five, uh, shooters on the floor, although that's not a bad deal. Uh, we, we need a couple guys who can rebound, who can defend, who can pass, who can set up. So our game is a very difficult game to coach and teach because it's not like baseball where you're a first baseman or you're a second baseman or you're a shortstop. There is such a uh, blend of positions and skill level that is up to the coach to mold and develop and get young men to fill roles, young ladies to fill their roles so that you're putting the best team on the court. And whenever you're putting the best team on the court, you're going to have a blend of athleticism and skill level. Well, Coach, I truly appreciate your time and and the valuable information you shared with us today. But before I let you go, I got one more question I want to ask you, and then I'll let you share some additional skill development advice you have for anybody, and then you can let everyone know how they can connect with you through social media if they want to contact you or ask any questions. Okay, great. So your question is, you get a chance to coach your ultimate basketball team. You can pick any players from any era, dead or alive, male or female, who are the five players you are picking to be on your team. Wow. That's a a good one. Well, I'm definitely going to start with Michael Jordan. Okay. He is uh, someone that, that I grew up with and 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 got to see through his his heyday as a player and mm-hmm. you know having having had the opportunity I'm kind of in the middle here where I you know I I, I started watching uh, basketball in the NBA when you had uh, the Elgin Baylors and the Oscar Robertsons and the uh, Chamberlains and. And, and even a little bit of Dave Cowens and, and those guys playing. And then the modern game today with Steph Curry and LeBron and, you know, the Tim Duncans and Timmy Parkers and Tony Parkers, the number of guys that are out there that are just great players. But I would always start that team with Michael Jordan. Um, it, he may not be have all the attributes that a LeBron James has, but 
Michael Jordan's a winner. And he's going to oh, yeah. find a way for your team to win. He's the ultimate competitor. And he is, in my mind, the best player of all time. From there, that that's where it gets really difficult. Um, <laughs> you know, going back in my day, you know, obviously being from West Virginia, Jerry West has got to find a place on that team. Mr. Logo, he's got to yeah. be on somewhere. Uh, Oscar Robertson, I think, is one of the best all-time players ever, ever. So he's got to find a place on it. And then you can't leave LeBron James out. He's just so good. So, yeah, just so good. I mean, there's no other way to explain it. Uh, but you got to have a big. And um, as good as Bill Russell and as good as Will Chamberlain were, and, and I got to see Chamberlain when he was really, really good. I just don't know that I've seen a better big man, including Timmy Duncan, than than Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was just one of the one of the best I've ever seen, and uh, so skilled, so athletic, so good. And somehow I found a way to leave Larry Bird off this team. So, <laughs> you know, you just that's a that's a great question. It's a great. Uh, it's a it's a great uh, topic to have sitting around the table because everybody oh, yeah. have a little bit of a different team. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and that's that's the beauty of that question. You know, you can go as far back as you want. Um, I've had one coach tell me he would put his family on that team. He would just just be his family. Um, but you got a really nice squad, a really nice team here. Um, you know, when we were talking about LeBron James, um, people that know basketball that really know the game, they understand the skills and the ability that he has and the, and the things that he's been able to do is just, you know, it's just unbelievable. And I think 10, 15 years down the road, you know, 20 years down from now, uh, people will look back and see how, a, how special of a player that he really is. I don't know if anybody's going to say he's ever going to be greater than Michael Jordan, but just the things that he's able to do on the court uh, being able to play any of the five positions is just it's just phenomenal. It really is. And, and as you well know, there are a lot of people right now that believe that he is the best all time and certainly uh, better than Michael Jordan. I just have a personal preference for uh, for MJ. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it don't matter what LeBron does. <laughs> Michael Jordan will always be at the top of the list. Yeah, well, you know, when – when, when you look at MJ, he's been to six NBA Finals, never lost, never been to a game seven. But then you look at look at LeBron, he's been to five in a row. You know, uh -huh. he's won two of those. He's lost three, but he's been to five in a row. Um, you know, that's in today's times, that's, that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. Well, Coach, do you have any other advice you would like to give anybody that's listening, any coaches or parents or players that's listening about skill development? and then let them know how they can connect with you through uh, social media. TJ, I just think the, the most important thing is that you're, you're getting out and you're working on your game, and you've got, um, you've got a direction to go. Uh, I think it's important that you don't just go out and throw up shots for an hour mm -hmm. uh, and think that that's improving your game. You need to have a plan in effect, and it's always great if you can have a coach, a skill development coach, a parent that's knowledgeable, to, to help you develop that plan on what you're going to do to improve as a player. And when I say have a plan, you know, decide, okay, I'm going to become a better three-point shooter 
over the next uh, six weeks. And that's going to be my primary objective where I'm going to become a better, uh, I'm going to increase, improve my footwork defensively over the next six weeks. So whatever that might be that you have, uh, that you have direction. Uh, because I think so often we do kind of what you and I did. We just go out on our driveway or we, our pops drops us off at the gym and we're there for four hours and we're just kind of playing. But we don't really have a plan and we don't really know what we want to do. We just know we want to be the best players we can be. Right. And today there's so much available to us for us not to be able to, to be the best player possible. Um, so that would be my biggest advice, I think, to, to anyone who's trying – to become um, a better basketball player. And then I just had to look at it quickly here. My my Twitter uh, is at Coach Jim Boone, uh, just Coach Jim Boone. And certainly anyone who would love to follow, we try to put as much on our Twitter account as we can about um, basketball, coaching, philosophy, motivation. And we do get some skill development on there as well. All right, Coach, that is it for today's episode. If you're anything like me and you had your pen and pad, I know you got some really great notes. And I know Coach Boone shared some really great information that you will be able to implement into your program, whether it's how to run your practices or whether it's the skill development. So I appreciate everybody listening. And before we go, I just want to let you know that uh, we are available on social media uh, on Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at NBNBball. On Facebook, we have I have a fan page. It's, it's uh, NBN Basketball. On YouTube, I have a few videos on there. It is at Nothing But Net B-Ball. That's Nothing But Net B-Ball on, on uh, Facebook. Also, if you want to get in contact with me, if you have any questions about skill development, um, if you just want to share some ideas and just kind of have an open dialogue, please feel free to do that also. Um, but my email address is coach TJ at MBNB ball coach TJ MBNB ball, uh, dot com. And so, you know, reach out to me. Um, let me know what you, what you think of the podcast. If there's, if there's some, some, something that you would like to, to hear of like for me to discuss, uh, maybe even interview. I know I've been posting some some older interviews, but if you're wanting me to interview somebody, um, let me know, and I and I can reach out to him and see if we can get. Uh, it could be him or her. Uh, doesn't matter to me, and see if we can get them on the show and and discuss some skill development. So, um, you know, just whatever it is, you know, I, I don't I don't mind sharing information. I don't feel like uh, what I have is a secret. I've learned from others. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to share, just reach out to me, let me know. And, uh, you know, if I don't know the answer for whatever reason, then I, I try to find out and help you out along the way. So, you know, I'm more than willing to do that. Uh, I want to be your resource to help you. Uh, I want to help solve whatever problem or situation that you may have in relation to skill development. So, uh, don't be afraid to reach out to me. So again, my email is, Coach TJ at NBNBball. So don't be afraid to, to send me a message. Now, if you just want to go to my site and, and check out my blog or check out some of the older podcasts that I have, um, when you get to my page, nbnbball.com, 
you will see a tab at the top that says skill development playbook. You click on that and you will have two options to go to my blog or go to my podcast. And you can click on either one of those. And there's blogs about all different types of things on skill development. And then all of my podcasts are also on my site. So, um, you know, just again, I just want to be a resource. I want to be a resource, help out people as, as much as I can, because I know when I started doing skill development 17 years ago, I didn't have a resource. I didn't have a podcast that I could listen to. There wasn't a whole lot of websites that was talking about skill development. Um, there wasn't a lot of coaches that was talking about skill development. So you're talking about 2001. Um, that was before Instagram. That was before Twitter. So, you know, I had to really dig to try to get information. So I'm, I'm more than willing to help the coach that's, that's wanting to get into this for the first time or even a coach that's got experience and been coaching and doing skill, de- skill development for a while, but they want to get a different perspective. So don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, you know, and again, I mentioned earlier before, uh, right at the beginning of this podcast, that I do have a book coming out. I'm looking forward to that. So y'all be on the lookout for that. It's going to have some great information. Um, it's going to be called the skill development playbook and just another resource for your coaches to have, to be able to, to learn, uh, about some things with, with skill development. So until next week, I appreciate y'all. God bless.